Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am. Welcome to the Lifeboat Livestream. Got a special show tonight. We have a guest joining us from Brazil, Dr. Kat Lindley. Welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Dr. Kat, you have been sort of a vocal critic, I would say, of the mainstream thinking from the coming from the medical community. You've worked on a a bunch of different organizations and so forth to do what you can to sort of get some varying points out there. And one of the things that caught my attention is yesterday you spoke to the, I think it's the verb pack, the FDA's advisory committee. They are trying to really sort of um, skirt all of the clinical trials is, is, you know, what it seems like to me. Can you tell us uh, about you know, what you spoke about and why you think this is an important issue that people need to understand and and what they're doing? Well, to understand what's going on, you have to understand a little bit about this technology. It's very new and we don't really know what it's going to do long-term when it comes to safety. We do know that when our mRNAs combine with uh, lipid nanoparticles, there are some issues because the lipid nanoparticle itself can accumulate. We see it accumulate in different or- organs. Initially, it was stated, stated that injection stays in the deltoid. Right. But since then, we've seen that it actually does travel to other organs, brain, um, adrenals, and... Um, liver, different different organs, but most importantly, ovaries, right? right? So that's very interesting. It accumulates actually in high percentage in ovaries. Recently, we also have studies that shows that semen production is decreased. So you have to question what is really going to go reproductively on a long term, and we have no answers to that. We also know that it goes to the uh, myocardium, to uh, cardiac muscle, and we've seen incidences of myocarditis and different things like that. So there's a lot of concern. And then mRNA in itself, each mRNA component um, that is programmed to, ex- to be expressed, it's a new chemical entity in the body, and that needs to be uh, treated as a, a new chemical entity and regulated by the, by the uh, regulatory body. So the fact that uh, they wanted and have approved these uh, new injections coming without any trials is very concerning because if you change even one sequence of the mRNA, it's going to be a totally different molecule, different chemical entity. So, um, and we have no clue what it's going to do. So just to kind of cavalierly let, you know, science aside, let data aside and, and go on, with this as if nothing's going to happen, I think it's uh, it's very harmful to our population. Yeah, you know, the lipid nano uh, complex, as Dr. Malone calls it, that kind of opened my eyes to, hey, it's not just one thing. It's sort of this group of this complex chemical that they're wrapping the mRNA in both to protect it, get it into the cell, and also sort of downregulate the immune response as I understand it. It seems like Am I right in thinking that every one of those components should have gone through testing and the, you know, the pegylated lipid, lipid, they've done some of that with animals. And we have, oh, the uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who's pointed out that they Mm -hmm. did studies with pigs and they started having the heart attacks after the second dose. I mean, shouldn't there have been 
clinical trials. I mean, this is why it takes five to 10 years to get these out, isn't it? It's a little bit crazy to think that we've gone uh, just like 10 months from the initial trial to production. And now despite um, bears and different um, databases reporting adverse events and death, uh, we all know if you have read recently that, uh, that FDA and CDC haven't really looked at the VAERS data itself. Right. And uh, even if you just look at VAERS, which is just our country, we have 3.5 million adverse events and we have over 28,000 deaths. To give you a perspective, um, I think it was polio. I have it somewhere here. But the, the, there are certain vaccines that like they, they had, uh, it was the, the flu vaccine, the swine flu. I, I believe 55 deaths. Yeah, and uh, they, was, they stop. They stop the vaccine, right? Yeah. So these safety signals are there for us to look at and say, "Hey, something's going on. Let's kind of reassess the situation. Maybe stop it and uh, look at something else." Another thing that really doesn't make sense: um, how severe COVID was, even at the highest peak, that first wave when we were not prepared. It's really questionable. The illness itself, it was very severe and consequences of treatments and different things. A lot of things played into the high number of deaths. Some people did not die from COVID. They died with COVID. Mm-hmm. And those are, that's very important to distinguish. But many people lost their lives and we cannot minimize that. At the same time, we have to start questioning as we're as these new strains are coming, everyone knows the strains become more virulent, but less deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we are up to BA4 and 5 right now, the Omicron subtypes. Um, people might be getting infected, but we haven't had too many deaths from the virus itself, which is great. But that's, you need to start questioning yourself, do you truly need to keep on vaccinating the population for something that most of us have developed immunity to especially our children yeah even according to cdc data you know most they're, kids had uh, covid yeah they're not at risk so, and what do you think about this you know like when i did the call a week or so ago they had several of the vaccine supporters saying well the immunobridging data looks very good can you can you like walk through what they're doing there and why that maybe is or is not relevant to what they're trying to suggest it represents? So I'm actually probably the worst person to walk you through it. <laughs> okay. Because I'm like the least science, you know, the, the least like number cruncher in our group. I'm more of a common life and common sense okay. uh, medicine type. But uh, what is interesting to know is that they actually extrapolated a lot of the data from the adults. Right. And try to use it and kind of say, oh, based on this, kids are going to do great. And, uh, you know, uh, they really, they started with 4,500 kids, I believe, in, in the study. They excluded over 3,000. Yeah. And they never explained why. And then they, they kind of manipulated the numbers to make it look like the vaccine um, the antibodies, like the second dose, are relevant, but they didn't say for how long. Right. And then they extrapolate some data from the adult studies to say, well, it's going to work in the um, kids as well. So 
uh, if you really look at the data itself, the number of kids that they based their um, observation on was very minimal. I believe it's under 10. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, um, they made it look like it's going to make a difference. But what, what's interesting is kids are not at risk to start with. So what are you trying to protect them from? And you, since you're really not truly protecting them from anything significant, how much risk are you putting in their lives? And yeah. the new variables that you are bringing in with the mRNA technology, you really have no clue what is happening to the bodies uh, long term. Um, we do know that there are studies that shows that spike protein is being produced well after two months and, and stuff like that. Some will say even more. So there's lots of questions. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the 3,000 that dropped out of the trial. Um, I never considered that maybe it was Pfizer that excluded them from the data. But I've got to think the parents who are taking their kids in to to participate in this trial are that 20% of the mass formation, if you're familiar with Matthias Desmet and his work. They are like the most indoctrinated. They believe in these vaccines. They're oblivious to the uh the vaccine injuries the adverse events and so forth and for that many of them to just suddenly disappear from the trial and not come in and get a second dose i I have to wonder like what happened to those kids did they did they have you know some kind of serious reaction i there's a post on twitter right now of a of a young mom who's a um i think family practice doctor Her daughter is running as I think two years old or something running a fever for multiple days. This is very bad. If I understand it, I think Dr. Peter McCullough mentioned this can lead to myocarditis having a, you know, a fever run for a very long time. Um, I don't know where else you want to go with that. Well, interestingly, I think there was a child who I believe I think they said it was 18 months. I, I forget now the exact age, but I think uh, the first dose, the child had a seizure. Uh-huh. And then uh, oh, they yeah. went to the doctor and they had a seizure. I mean, uh, they gave him a second shot. I don't think there is any data what happened after. But I would think that, um, you know, everyone is kind of blaming these parents. And sure, the, the responsibility does fall on their shoulders. But I think what most people have to realize um, most parents that try to do what's right for their kids. Right. And if you're only listening to one side of the story, um, that's what you believe. And then if you go find a doctor, pediatrician, or someone who tell, who confirms that story, that's what you believe. And you're going to end up vaccinating your child. So I wouldn't say that like all the blame goes to the parents because I think the biggest um, coup of this whole last two years has been the lockstep collaboration between the media and um, the governmental agencies, governments around the world, governments themselves. So, you know, I don't necessarily just jump and blame the parent because sometimes they're trying to do the best they can. At the same time, I do feel that parents should try to look for these alternate um, sources and even look at the VAERS and different things. But we do. We live in a, such a clown world right now. 
it's uh you know for just a normal person who goes who goes to job and the kid goes to daycare or school finding the sources of information and knowing what the risks are are very difficult so i blame really the media i'm i blame the cdc and fda for it because they are supposed to be guards of our health of our public health mm-hmm. you know i did speak at that fda hearing yesterday mm-hmm. and one of the things that i i actually went online and i googled um looking it up i googled the mission of the fda and it's a really short sentence it says the food and drug administration is responsible for protecting the public health by ensuring the safety efficacy and security of human and veterinary drugs biological products and medical devices. And the sentence goes on to talk about like radiation, things like that. You know, that really struck me. And I close my testimony um, to them by saying that they need to be reminded, they need to remember actually their responsibility to us, to the people of this nation. And they need to truly kind of look at their statement because my expectations are that they will continue the mission of protecting the public. Uh, which, in my opinion, just by the mere fact that they're not looking at various data and not seeing the numbers that we're seeing, not listening to the stories of these people. You know, if a healthy person who has done everything right, used to exercise, ride a bike, um, go swimming, whatever, has a vaccine and within days or weeks has an event, causation is really clear. Right, causation is you had something new and you had an event. I would say most likely that's what caused it. So for them to totally disregard many of these stories is mind-boggling. You know, Danny Bonaducci is a famous actor from yesteryear. He literally had the shot at the end of I think it was March, and then in April these strange conditions started, and the doctors are were baffled. We don't know what's going on with them. And like nobody, none of them are looking at the vaccine. And I had somebody comment on Twitter that said they were in sort of the insurance defense industry. And they're saying the reason they're not doing that is because the doctors could get sued and then be forced to testify against the pharmaceutical companies. So they're trying to stay out of it. And I think it's just made such a mess. The All of the... Um, I don't know. I mean, is it what what has happened to doctors to the the healthcare industry over the last two years that has gotten us to this point? Everyone asks me the question, <laughs> like I'll have the answer. It's it's baffling. I I mean, I just don't understand how they like they seem to have just thrown out everything that they knew for the last ten years that that was accepted science, and now it's you know, whatever the fact checkers say is the new objective reality that we must all adhere to. And I I think they're destroying their profession. I mean, doctors were some of the most trusted and now we're seeing vaccination rates across the board decline because people are losing faith. They're losing trust because they're starting to see that they're misled and they're starting to see their friends and, and family and loved ones get sick from these vaccines. And there's still not being given reasonable answers and they're starting i think to put the pieces together but i just i don't i don't understand how this happened i would say that i don't necessarily understand either lots of times you know i'll think 
and I'll read the posts of my classmates and, and I'm thinking to myself, did you take the same pathology class? Did you say, take the same like cardiology class? You know, I remember those days in medical school where, when we barely slept and we all, uh, you know, spent a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is, it, it is difficult. Um, it really makes me smile. A lot of people say, Oh, I knew something's wrong from the beginning. And I'm thinking to myself, you're full of crap. You had no clue. Uh, and most people haven't. But, you know, for someone like me who actually grew up in communism, um, when the whole thing was starting, I was having these, I, I used to talk, I, I was talking to my friend who's also a family doctor every night because we talked about like what's going on, what, you know, mm. what are we supposed to do? This is like when, when we were pretty much told, tell patients to stay home and if they can't breathe, go to the hospital. I, I, I have my own practice. I didn't do that, but I also moonlighted in uh, urgent care. And that's kind of what the message was. Mm-hmm. So her and I used to like talk late at night all the time. And the one night she goes to me, she's like, Kat, you're having flashbacks. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're remembering things are tr- triggering you. And I was truly being triggered because what you don't realize in communism, they make you fear something. Well, not communism, totalitarianism, fascism, Nazism, all of those isms. Um, They make you fear something and then they separate you. And when you're separated, you can't really communicate and have conversations. So the fear level is high and they keep on bombarding you with new data, new numbers, new debts. Mm -hmm. You know, the pictures from New York, pictures from China, pictures from London, like all of these nightmares. The propaganda is like fully on. And then they kind of start uh, easing up the leash. They're like, well, if you stay six feet apart, if you wear that mask, you can maybe start going to the store but only like few of you, right? Yeah. Then after we start doing that, okay, well, you've done good. Now you can do a couple more things. Now you can do a couple more things. And then finally, you know, came to the mandatory um, vaccines and stuff like that. So when I um, speak in front of people, I always tell them, it's really not about vaccine. It's not about mask. It's not about um, any of these specific actions. It's about the mandate itself. And the reason it's about a mandate, because if you live in a free country, so if you live in the United States, if you live in UK, if you live in Austria, if you live in Australia, Canada, anywhere, if it's truly a free country, there is no government in the world that would mandate you to do something, to take something, to put something in your body so that you can make money to bring food to your family. If that mm-hmm. is happening, that you're not living in a free country. Yeah. So truly, we haven't lived in free country countries for the past two and a half years, and we're not free right now. All and Dr. Cat, I just uh, I want to clue the audience, and I mean, this is something you speak with personal knowledge about because you fled the former Yugoslavia, uh, the war going on there, and I think went to the UK and then eventually to America, where you've found your way into medical school and mm-hmm. kind of really changed the course of your life there. So you have that perspective of what it's like to live under those types of systems. It is. And, you know, um, so I lived under communism until the eighties, then Tito died in the eighties. And then after that, for several years, Yugoslavia couldn't find its um, identity until mm-hmm. we finally end up in a civil war. So I left at 18 
when the Balkan war was started. Mm -hmm. I actually left one day before my hometown was attacked. And I lived in Italy and UK for a little bit and came here. So I actually am one of those people where you say like American dream is real. It is real because I remember being in high school in Croatia. I never thought I would be a doctor here in the United States. And, uh, you know, I saved money to go to school and then later on got uh, financial aid for medical school and all that. You know, so truly I live an American dream. So when I speak about these things, I speak from experience because as a kid, I was not allowed to say that that we go to church because that could affect my dad's job. In communist countries, a religion is uh, mm. considered um, illegal. So there are a lot of these little things that you don't realize you're not allowed to do until you later on live a free life and know what freedom is. So to give you another example, um, I think it was February of this year that our government, DHS, came with this bulletin all of a sudden if you speak against uh, elections or um, COVID-19 policies by the governmental agencies, you will be considered a terrorist. So that wow. hit me really hard. I, um, it was Monday when I got this. I was supposed to go to, um, we were going to Phoenix to speak with um, Ryan Cole, Richard Urso, I don't think Rob Malone was there, but Pierre Corey was there. Like several of us were just mm-hmm. kind of going to speak about things. And I and I kept on saying, you know what? I don't think I want to go. I'm at least, I want to stay home. I'm like, I need some time to me, you know, I, because it hit me like a ton of brick that like all of a sudden I was born and not free. And now I'm going to die not free. And my country is going to consider me a terrorist just for giving my opinion. I'm no one special. I have some training in medicine, I have some training in science, and I have uh, some common sense. And these are my opinions based on data that I see. That's how mm-hmm. I interpret it. So I'm giving you what I think is a real story. It's up to you to believe it or not. But the fact that like um, all of a sudden I can speak my truth. I went yes. for a few days of really like feeling down and, and um actually grieving you know i felt like i'm grieving and then i kind of like snapped out of it i was like okay i'm good i'm done with that and um it was it kind of gave me renewed um courage to go on Mm -hmm. because um if people like us don't speak the truth and honestly i'm not sure how you can misinterpret the data the other way how can you actually decided two plus two is five or three. To me, it's very clear that two plus two is four. I'm not sure how these others, how the other side is seeing this differently because the facts are the facts and those facts we were taught from the beginning in medical school. Herd immunity is herd immunity. Mm-hmm. Natural immunity is natural immunity. It, just, it all went out MRNA, the window. Everything went out, the common sense went out of the way. Yeah. And, um, so I'm not really sure how, I think some physicians, media, and others have truly bought into it, and mm-hmm. this is their new Bible or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some have not, but feel coerced into it, maybe keep their job, their salaries, and stuff like that. And then there are some of us who, you know, the sky is blue, it's not green, I'm sorry. <laughs> Two plus two is four, not five. I don't care what you want me to say. Yeah, 
you know, yeah. the sky hasn't changed the color yet. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the approach that I took. I had um, 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. I saw something was going on here, and I was actually one of the one in a hundred people wearing a mask on the very front end at, you know, going to the grocery store, a proper N95 surgical mask. Uh, and everybody's looking at me funny. And that lasted about two weeks until I had time to really dig in and start looking at, is this thing working? Is it going to be effective? What should I be doing? And then I stopped and I didn't wear it all through the whole pandemic and everybody's looking at me like I'm the weirdo again. And now, you know, we're back to, but it's just, yeah, it's, um, there was a, a point, like I started getting strikes against the channel and there was a point where I was kind of stressed out like you about it and, and what am I going to do? And, and I just realized, look at how important this is. Look at what they're doing. I started seeing, you know, the fact checkers are being controlled by the media, which is being controlled by the government. We have all of these packages coming out for local news, which is really just they want to get that they are, you know, kind of my view on it is and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I think the new, you know, in communist regimes, they tend to go in and nationalize and just take it over. And then the government runs the industry or the or the big company or whatever. I think the new model here is they give them bribe money and the organizations like CNN and the mainstream media and the newspapers and the local news stations all become dependent on that money. And then they say, well, you know, if you don't go toe the line here, we're going to take that away. So they have a way of not having to take things over and nationalize them per se, but they have the same effect by just giving them all of this money. And that's happening in the UK that's happening in the United States, that's happening in New Zealand. Uh, all of these countries around the world, they're, they're doling out money to really control the perception of the news. So they've been doing that for years. I think the reason um, medical community hasn't pushed back as much is because there's not that many independent doctors left. Yeah. Uh, we in the United States we practice what it's called, in my opinion, it's actually against the law in Texas, but it's it's done everywhere. It's called corporate um, medicine because mm-hmm. doctors are employed by big by big uh, companies or big hospitals, big systems, and they answer to them. Um, there is something called Stark Law where you can really refer to. Um, someone kind of related to your stuff because uh, it's a kind of kickback and stuff, but mm-hmm. it happens all the time. The hospital system referred within their own system. Uh, you are highly encouraged to use the specialist in your own group and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this has happened in medicine and things like that are happening. Like you said, in media, they're getting grants, they're getting um, different types of money so that they can be bailed out or they can do things. And when you, borrow the money or whatever you have to live under the conditions of, of the one who gave you the money. So yes, the same thing with Medicaid, Medicare, the reason I'm outside of the system, Medicaid, Medicare is a type of socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with the previous administration, I worked uh, with our group on several bills trying to kind of show that the way forward is independent practice of medicine, because that's the only way that, uh, patient will still have a voice. If you have a physician who is independent, 
we tend to advocate for the patient mm-hmm. um, first. So it's happening globally. And uh, things that concern me, I always watch the world. UK has several bills that are coming up. Australia has been a mess. Canada has been a mess. But one of the UK bills is human rights revision bill, I believe it's called. So what that bill would do is take away individual um, rights. And uh, from now on, anything that has to do with like public health or things like that will be decided for the betterment, whichever the word is. The greater good. uh, Yeah. Yeah, the greater good, the, mm-hmm. the total society. So that's when you start losing um, identity, um, and we have we have been losing our identity as individuals for decades now, and it's getting worse with the whole. Uh, I really don't want to get into transgenderism at all, <laughs> but with different movements, with different new ideas, with the different social initiatives we are starting to lose identity as individuals and we're becoming a collective because the best way to get um, someone to follow is by stripping them of their own personality, of sense of who they are. So in my opinion, first of all, I knew, and I would think that most physicians knew well, not most, because some of them still propagate masks. Some of us knew that masks are nonsense. The reason why is I'll walk you through it. Very, very simple exercise. At the beginning of the pandemic in the United States, we wore full PPE, right? We wore yep. gloves, uh, yellow um, gown. Uh, we had a N95 mask. We had a, a visor. We had a cap. We started running out of that. We started wearing N95 masks. We started running out of those. So KN95s are all, all of a sudden, okay? They come from China, by the way. Then we start running out of those. We start wearing surgical masks. And at one point, CDC said you can wear a bandana. And, you know, I, I already lost any confidence long before bandana. But to give you another example, if you work in a hospital, every year we have to get uh, fitted for true N95 mask, like a real one. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are green ones, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. And it has to be fitted every single year. They put it on your face. I've always been a size M. And I used to complain every year because I kept on saying, I'm still a size M. This is, you know, a waste of time, whatever, but it's something you have to do. So you put the mask on, they put a big helmet over your head, and then they spray you with certain chemicals. And the re- one I remember the most is saccharin, saccharin with water. So if they spray you and you can taste saccharin in your mouth, you know that your got a leak. is not proper. Yeah. You know, have a leak and, it's, and, and, and trust me, virus is a whole lot small, smaller than right. the saccharin molecule. So the masks never made sense. But what masks have done, and people, some realize, some don't, masks have made us compliant. And most importantly, masks have made our children compliant masks and the six feet apart and following the line and things like that have made our children obedient. Yes. That's how you create, that's how you lose identity, first of all, masks. And then you start creating a very obedient uh, population that's going to follow the orders that will not question it. Another big issue that I have coming from Europe and coming from European um, academics, you know, from the background, 
common core math, I hate it with vengeance because common core math is a nonsense. Yeah. Common core math, the only thing that accomplishes is it takes away the critical thinking. Because no matter how many ways you want me to write two plus two, two plus two is still four. Mm-hmm. But common core math wants me to write it 10 different ways and wants me to memorize things. And when I memorize things, I stop thinking. And mm-hmm. when I stop thinking, I become obedient. Mm-hmm. So all of these things have created a very um, obedient population, one that will follow the mandates no matter how crazy they get. And, and I think and, when you talk about children and the mass, I think we're going to see psychological impacts that I think are only starting to show up. We've got people that work with children with learning disabilities. They're seeing huge increases in um, kids that are coming to them covering up the faces they're not able to see those kind of verbal cues and things that teach them as they're growing up and learning and I, like i don't know what it's going to do to these kids and my daughter is one of them she started public school and her mom was you know we couldn't we couldn't even go in her mom's triple vaxxed it was still last winter that we could not eat indoors at a restaurant because our daughter couldn't wear a mask and of course I'm not wearing one and it, it, there was a lot of, of conflict there, but it's, uh, it became part of her identity, at least of, the, of her mom's identity. And it's almost like a virtue signal to say, see, I'm doing something I care. And I, and it, I just don't think they understand the, the consequences, the implications, the full ramifications of these policies. I've been speaking about masks and children for a long time now. And um, there is a study from Brown University that showed that um, IQ dropped 21% during the pandemic, during the lockdown. Mm. And uh, you're right. Children need to see the bottom half of the face uh, during the certain developmental stages to recognize the emotions behind the word. Because I can say stop. If I smile, they know I'm joking. If I'm being stern, if my face does not show emotion, they know I'm not joking. So kids don't, do not have these um, developmental emotional cues to interpret the meaning of the word. So, And the other thing is some kids are hiding behind the mask because they want to be invisible. You know, they may be bullied and something might be happening in their life, so they don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Speech delays because the orofacial muscles are not developed in the young ones. We've seen about 300% increase in speech therapy. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of concerns. But very interestingly, in some countries, even now, and even some states, they still wear masks. But it's very funny because you see pictures of adults taking photo ops yeah. with children wearing a mask, but the adults are not wearing a mask. Right. And... Um, it's very disturbing. Uh, we've allowed this, you know. Um, I think the reason this is still happening because um, for most Americans, this is a shock. They're not really aware how many little freedoms we have given away and how big this thing is. And uh, I think America as a whole hasn't had, hasn't said enough. We had some places where people have had enough but as a whole country we haven't said enough yet and until we all do this will continue because uh, 
government or whatever, whoever is, they're acting almost like children, you know, testing the boundaries and trying to see how long the parent is going to uh, keep on saying yes until the parent snaps and says, go in time out, I'm done. Yeah. And we really haven't said I'm done yet. Well, and, and I think I think some of us have, but the deplatforming, you know, I got kicked off of YouTube, I got kicked off of Twitch, social media platforms more times than I could count. Um, that has an impact when you have, you know, 50,000, 5,000, 20,000, 30,000 followers that are all of a sudden gone. There's no way to get those back. It just takes time. Uh, you know, they'll, eventually they'll find me again and so forth. But uh, that silences those messages and pushes them uh, definitely away from the normies. And, and that's really, I think, where YouTube censorship has been so effective and allowed them to sort of keep this thing going for as long as they have because those dissenting voices like yours, like mine, have been silenced from the conversation. And, you know, during the pandemic, we had, you were talking about what the harms to kids, but there were, it was suicides were way up among children and, and in adults, they were overdosing on drugs and using that as their, I guess, escape. So it's, it's just been incredibly detrimental and, um, it just, I, I have to wonder, are all these things just coming about organically or is there some kind of force driving our society or thinking in a certain direction down a certain road with a purpose behind it? Well, you're right. Censorship is a big deal and we don't have a platform and we are talking to people who feel like us most likely. But, you know, people always ask me, what is the solution? Solution is you get involved in your community, you strengthen mm -hmm. your own community. You know, um, I've done a lot of work in D.C. over different healthcare policies. Uh, I've worked with different congressmen and senators and their staff. And uh, there are certain things that are important from the federal level but the most important things actually happen at home in your own community and uh, you know it, like I, we both live in texas mm -hmm. so uh, you know the county judge is an important uh person for us because county judge sets the restrictions and mandates within our own county so you know the regulators the health uh officer um judges mayor the sheriff, mm -hmm. all of those are important positions. School board, I'm on a school board. Um, I think it's important for all of us to actually run in our own community for different jobs. And, you know, when it comes to election, people need to actually volunteer to be election monitor, whatever they call them, mm -hmm. and make sure that the votes are counted correctly. So, um, yes, on a global level, it's... Um, the platforming censorship is a real thing and it's um, heartbreaking that we have to deal with it. But honestly, the biggest change you can do is in your own community. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of where it starts. And when you get out of your community, you, you get on a state level. Yeah. The reason people like states like Florida, especially, and but Texas to a certain extent is because our governors, especially the scientists, obviously, they have looked at the science and interpreted it in the right way and try to 
keep um, their people um, safe and protected. And uh, so on a global level, it's, you know, it's kind of harder to communicate. But at the end of the day, it really matters what happens in your own community, in your own homes. I would say you kind of start there first. Yeah. Now, and I actually did something along those lines just recently. I reached out to DeSantis as well as... Um, I'm forgetting his name, but the uh, Surgeon General of Florida, because they oh, had, Ladato. yeah, they had uh, Dr. Sarah Beth Hartledge, the the vaccine director for Tennessee, one of the counties in Tennessee, died in her Florida hotel, and I raised the point, hey, it's great that y'all are standing up to the mandates and so forth, but if your medical examiners aren't looking for the right things to determine the cause of death was the vaccine you're doing a huge disservice because these aren't being reported for these deaths aren't being reported for what they are. And we get these ridiculous stories from the press about, you know, like Danny Bonaducci and, and several of the other examples that have come out this week. Um, I forget all the, all the different pop stars and there was a Brazilian um, beauty queen or, or something mm-hmm. along those lines that are just dropping dead and they're generally being ruled as natural causes because they're not doing the analysis that like Dr. Cole has done to show here's what's happening and here's, or uh, Dr. Bucart and Butcher, Bucharest, I forget his other name, but the, the guys from Burkhart, yeah. Burkhart. And then there was another one, another German pathologist. These are, the guys are from Doctors for COVID Ethics and they did those 15 autopsies in Germany. So I've taken that, pdf and send it out and i suggest my audience do that in every state so that we can at least start acknowledging that there is a problem because i we're not even at that stage yet i mean would you agree so interestingly i had dinner with ryan tonight oh wonderful <laughs> we, actually, we actually went to brazilian steakhouse and uh, watched the show and stuff but we talked about it it's just kind of funny you brought it up but we talked about it we talked about the fact that there is only few pathologists truly doing the autopsy. Right. And that's kind of where the causation element comes in. But that, you know, it falls back a little bit on Kerner and also on the um, county you live in. So I can see where the county in, you know, there are several counties in Florida. Broward is one of them. And then um, the Orlando mm-hmm. I forget which one Orlando is. I used to live in Florida, so I know, know them very well. But it falls back on the county a little bit. But it is, yes, it's difficult. We don't have autopsies. No one wants to do autopsies. And uh, Professor Burkhardt actually did show that, and there are some stains. We talked about it the night with Ryan, uh, that you can stain the tissue to see the spike protein. So mm-hmm. sometimes when they do autopsy, they'll just say, oh, the person died from this. Like, let's say it was DVT or pulmonary embolism, you know, or uh, whatever it is, um, that's the cause, right? Pulmonary embolism. But what caused it? Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that sometimes people will say, well, person had this and that's what caused this. Like you can't find it necessarily the cause. You can find like this, you know, the causation effect. But you can do these uh, tissue stains of spike protein that they're not doing. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to find it. Right. Uh, if we start finding it, then people have to answer for it. And I don't think anyone is truly ready to answer for what's going on other than people like us who are 
trying to say, you know, let's go back to the kids. Mm-hmm. Let's not vaccinate them. They're at low risk. There is no benefit to, to them. There is all risk at this time when it comes to vaccine. We have no long-term safety data. We have these cases of myocarditis in uh, young athletes. Um, we have different seizures. We even have deaths. You know, Ernesto Ramirez's son died at 16 from mm-hmm. myocardial event after I believe he had Pfizer. Uh, we have these things all over the world. But you touched a little bit on like athletes, musicians, and um, I have to tell you, I've been getting a little bit, um, I'm trying to find a nice mild word for it. I've been getting a little bit frustrated, a little bit angry with them. Mm-hmm. Because these are these people who my kids looked up, look up to. There are some right. of them who I have been a fan of. And, um, you know, I met a few people in that industry and um, some things are happening to them as well, right? Some people have certain events and then they will say, oh, nothing happened, nothing was going on. There are some of their friends who have been dropping with these questionable things. My question to them, and I actually did this recently in another interview, not that anyone is going to watch this. Well, maybe for your sake, most people, more people are going to watch, but for my sake, no one really cares what I think. But my plea to people like that is, how much money do you really need? Yeah. You know, how how many endorsements, how many contracts, how many, uh, you know, New York galas, Hollywood shows or medals or something how many more of those do you need before you realize that this can be your child this can be your cousin this can be your mother this can be uh, your friend your best friend's daughter or someone someone in your life even if it's kind of tangential even someone who's watching you know you play tennis or something how much more do you need before you say you know what i have to say something Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of, we do live in a crazy world where my opinion doesn't matter, but theirs does. So my plea to them is to really kind of take a moment in their in time and say, is this the way I want to live my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I want to hide behind these corporations? Do I want to hide behind this? Yes, it's going to suck if you come out and tell the truth. But it, and at the end of the day, you're going to feel so much better and you're going to know that you're on the right side of history. Because um, the reason I'm a doctor is I've seen a difference of things that people like me and people in my life and even sometimes I can make a difference in person's life and heal them with certain things or give them advice. And uh, that moment when you actually witness some of these good things happening is probably the best time in your life. So my plea to them is like really take a stock of your life and um, it's going to be a hard battle that you're facing, but you're going to feel so much better. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we can be friends. That's the (laughs) best part. I'm just joking, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, we we need people to have just a little courage, just a little. Mm-hmm. 
I used to, you know, I worked in corporate America in telecom and was very successful, you know, made six figures and, um, would travel, take five vacations a year. I live in Texas, was able to go snowboarding about five times a year, once in Austria, in Canada, you know, all over. I would be on business trips and I'd go shopping and buy whatever I wanted. I had 53 pairs of shoes. And at some point I just realized none of this is really making me happy. And now we're going from, I'm finding fraud in the in the telecom networks to they want me to start spying on DSL traffic and, and start looking at things at a much more granular level. And it's like, this isn't the future that I want for me. I, this is definitely not the future I want for my kids and, you know, for future generations to inherit. And I just kind of walked away from it. And now I live very poor. You know, my brother's the opposite of me. He's got all the, uh, you know, name brand, uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses and this and that and uh, you know does does real well I go help him when I need to earn money and then I do this the rest of the time and and um, it, it's it's just it's a different focus it's the things that used to be important to me back then are just not important anymore what's important is who am I helping what kind of difference am I making and what am I learning and and growing and and who am I becoming in the process? Because in my mind, anyway, life is not about the destination. It's about the journey and the ends are the, the means are the ends, not the other way around. I think there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, if I can just get through this, I'll have everything at the end. And then they get there and realize, Oh, that wasn't actually the case. And it's really about, finding your purpose and being fulfilled at a fundamental level as to who you are. Yeah. I, I can tell you that I never imagined that I'll be the one speaking out about things. Yeah. I'm very opinionated, so maybe, you know, <laughs> but um, it, it's really important, you know, um, it hasn't been easy doing this and um, it's not. Yeah. You know, there's really, there's really uh, nothing else I could do. To tell you the truth, this is this is kind of the path that was set before me, just before because of my experiences. And to me, there's nothing more important than uh, freedom. Uh, I can't stand injustice. Um, I can't stand people suffering, and I can tell you there are many people suffering. I get emails daily basis from um, I get messages on WhatsApp from people all over the world especially UK I have a big connection with people in UK and um, you know I did that interview with the Irish media um, about my friend John and um, the first message that John sent to me was you know hi my name is John I'm vaccine injured I'm scared I think I'm dying those were the first words he said to me. And um, it hit me really hard. And there are so many people like John out there that are crying out for help and no one is listening. Yeah. When they go to the doctor, their doctor is like, oh, you have anxiety, you have this, you have that. You know, oh, you're not having chest pain, you're not short of breath, your heart rate is not really 150, you know. Or take this pill, take that pill. But no one is looking at the cause and how do you 
mitigate the symptoms of what's happening. So you have this large population suffering in silence. And, you know, and then people will say, well, why did you get vaccinated? You should have known better. Again, that's a lot of crap because uh, especially I would say initially, most people try to do the right thing. The messaging was this will really help us all. And if you're high risk or whatever, you should. A lot of people did what they thought was right. Some mm-hmm. just did it because that's what they wanted to, but it's not up to us to judge, you know. I kind of always tell people, um, first of all, I hate the word awake. No one is freaking awake. Maybe we're a little bit more aware, but no one is awake because people are not sleeping. People are doing the best they can. Um, And it's not up to us to say, well, I'm a lot better than you are because I have a pure blood. That's not a thing that I'm not a big fan of. Um, When you do that, you create these two caste system that you are rebelling against. Are you better than the other side? Uh, You know, if you start doing that, what we need to do is embrace each other as humans and say, you know, I see your, yes, you know, I see your suffering. Let me figure out how can I help you? You know, can I do something for you? Is there, you know, can I set up, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, we just need to, what they've done successful in these past two years, they have created this tension amongst us all to to see each other as different and to to kind of uh, feed off of uh, these different things. But what we need to do to break this spell over us is just to say, hey, I'm Cap, you're Sam. Hey, let's just be friends because that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to break down these barriers that they have created and uh, that they're trying to create amongst us. Because at the end of the day, even the, the parents who are vaccinating their child, do I think they're doing the right thing? No. But do I think that they really want to harm their children? No, I no, don't. Absolutely I think not. they're trying to do the best they can with what they have. Right. So my job is really to try to come to them, you know, build this bridge and say, you know what, before you do that, maybe look at this data and see what you think about it. And if you have questions, come to me and I'll answer it. So uh, we need to start really creating bridges instead of uh, living on our own little islands and being self-righteous about our islands because uh, we truly need each other. Yeah. And, you know, I I definitely don't want to get into the whole abortion thing, but we did the I did the last show on that and that was one of my key points is with government you have this gun in the room and they try and simplify condense everything down to well you're either red team or blue team you're either pro-life or pro-choice you're either uh, pro-vaccine and with science or you're anti-vax and anti-science and the the reality is so much more complex than that and I think we have to stop realize that we're being manipulated first off and stop falling prey to that sort of binary thinking because it's so destructive. And as the government gets bigger and bigger and starts to control more and more aspects of our lives, it becomes more and more dangerous. And yeah, I think history is littered with examples of what happens when the state grows too big and too powerful. And I think we are in the sort of period of decline, the dollars failing, um, We've got cryptocurrency coming in. There are just huge changes on the horizon that are sort of uh, making their way into the the masses as we speak. 
And uh, it's, I think it's going to be a very turbulent time in the coming years. Yes. So just so you know, I'm pretty good with geopolitical issues as well. Okay. Because, um, well, first of all, abortion went from being a medical issue, which should be to be political issue. And that's why they are uh, polarizing it. It needs to go back to where it came from, and that's between patient and phys- physician. Yeah. And uh, the two parties will make the right decisions, in my opinion. Uh, but when it comes to geopolitical issues, so we went from COVID. Uh, they haven't been able to necessarily get everything they wanted through this. They played a little bit with small monkeypox. Now it's polio. I'm not sure what's going to be next. Maybe plague. That'll be a good one. Although we can kind of treat that, so that wouldn't work too much. I think um, they're going to have. What's happening? I think they're going to have, you know, like long COVID and um, so many vaccine injured. They'll have to do something with that. Call it another yeah, COVID yeah. play, another COVID variant or whatever. But it, yeah, something's coming for sure. But, you know, while that's happening, what's been happening for the past two years and especially the last 18 months is food shortage. The only problem is there's no food shortage. It's all um, manufactured food shortage. Mm -hmm. Um, If you really followed what's going on, there are farmers telling that they're getting paid not to um, plant crops. Mm -hmm. There are farmers saying that they're getting uh, paid cash to not take their animals to the uh, Slaughter to processing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then it's really interesting how small plane, it really seems to find that, you know, food factory in the middle of nowhere, all of a sudden, how many incidences have we had? 30 some Mm -hmm. of food factories going on off in plane. And then wasn't there like a train with eggs that was overturned or chicken? It's really interesting how these incidences are incidents are just happening, and in the meantime, you go to the store, you can buy. Uh, you know, I was looking for Gatorade a few weeks ago. You couldn't find Gatorade to die for. But I had to go to like four different stores. Mm-hmm. So you know, and then the energy is going up, the oil is going up. Um, Fertilizer. I, I think food inflation everything. is just getting started. I, I mean. And, and it's interesting how it's happening all over the world at yeah. the same time. And it seems to happen right after that G7 or whatever Davos meetings they have. Somehow mm-hmm. something just happens, right? And so it's really interesting to watch all these things pop up. And then like, you know, right now, because that's what it is, right? They're still creating fear. Yeah, They're still propagating this uh, idea that we can only... Um, survive if we give up more of our mm-hmm. freedoms to the government because oh i just read yesterday or today that the wales government is going to be giving i forget how much uh, let's say i think 1500 uh pounds or whatever they do there uh monthly for people to live off of that's how you do it you you create this social um um dependent class yeah. income you know social income and uh, hey, we'll pay you whatever twenty five hundred dollars a month, and then you start getting that twenty five hundred dollars a month. And like, well, we'll continue paying you this, but you have to 
you know, start doing this. You have to start doing mm-hmm. that. You have to shop at this place. You can only, uh, you know, use your electricity. This was something that happened in communism when I was younger too. During the summer, uh, it's, it's what happens in uh, California now. During the summer, they would turn off our electricity from five o'clock in the afternoon to like eight o'clock in the morning to save on electricity. So, you know, so they're like, well, we'll give you $2,500 a month, but like five days a week, you have to shut down your electricity from five to eight because, hey. For the greater good, right? (laughs) Exactly right. So, yeah, there's there's a really uh, geopolitical storm happening all over the world. It's just a matter of time before the whole system collapses. And yeah. Cryptocurrency is not going to solve anything. Uh, I think the opinion, you, I think a big part of it is the dollar is failing as a global reserve currency, and they have for the first time these CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. It's you know Bitcoin came along and ushered in this new paradigm, and for the first time ever, the state is uh, their ability to print and coin money is being threatened. And that is something that's never happened before. And that's how they fight their endless wars. That's how they grow government endlessly. And like every time we see uh, the the Federal Reserve come in and raise interest rates because they have to or inflation's going to take us under, we'll see another Sri Lanka or Ecuador or one of these other countries collapse because it just gets the we're basically the United States having the dollar reserve currency is able to export its inflation to all these other places. And that's how this has been able to go on for so long. And I think the inflation that we're seeing today is really a result of like Trump's uh, spending. I don't even think we've gotten to the, the Biden spending, you know, or not spending, but printing of trillions of dollars to cover all of this pandemic stuff. And they're, you know, they're they're never going to stop. They're just going to run it into the ground. They'll try and keep raising rates, but that will crash the economy and make the situation worse. And if they lower them, inflation starts taking hold again and makes the situation worse. So, yeah, we're we're heading into this collapse. Uh, Crypto Crank is here pointing out the food plants and such from January 2022 to today. He says there's around 90 or 100 plants that have shut down and closed and. You know, like some, those lists, some of them I kind of object to. Like in one case, there was one barn out of like eight or nine. It was about 10% of that farmer's capacity with, uh, this was an egg farm. Um, those kind of can get blown out of p- proportion, but there are absolutely very real fires and things. I'm kind of wondering, are some of these sabotage? Are some of them uh, like uh, just maintenance and things that was not done during the lockdown? Or the fact that now we've got uh, another interesting data point that we covered in a previous show was the number of disability claims has increased coinciding with the vaccinations by 2.9 million people in the United States alone. There's your workforce shortage. And that, and that's, you know, we've probably got two to 300,000 deaths. I think it's probably a more than fair uh, number of, of uh, vaccine-related deaths that have been written off to, you know, anything under the sun. As that continues, I think this whole situation gets worse. And I think kind of the time that we're heading into is one where 
everything collapses. And I think it, they're trying to bring it down. They want to come back online with CBDCs. We get rid of cash. Uh, with the central bank digital currencies, they're basically a credit at the government uh, money center where they get to decide when you can access your money, where you can spend it, who you can spend it with, under what conditions, whatever kind of capital controls, bam. Oh, you got a ticket, bam, we've already withdrawn the funds. Thank you very much. Oh, you did this, we've penalized you. Uh, you know, it gives them complete control at a transaction level. And um, I think they will have the ability to hide sort of their money printing and inflation in ways that they haven't been able to do before. So that's how they keep the game going. At the same time, I think we have the opportunity to come out of this using cryptocurrencies, taking that power away from the states, putting it back in the hands of the individual. And at the same time, I think it's going to be doctors like you, like Mary Tally Bowden and some of the others who are willing to step away from the old systems that I think are dying and uh, be willing to sort of come up with these new systems that are going to replace it and actually service better than these old ones have. And I, I think it's going to be a uh, turbulent next few years, but I hope coming out of the other side of that, we, we build a more prosperous and free society. So I'm cryptocurrency dummy. Okay. But the idea of decentralizing currency is definitely a powerful one mm -hmm. and probably the only way we can save some of this um, financial insecurities we're going towards. One thing that most people need to realize that definitely digital currency is a danger because that's exactly what's happening. You know, WHO, um, they negotiated with, I think it's called Wilkoman or something like that. It's a German company to in introduce this digital passport and digital mm -hmm. identity. And you introduce digital currency on that. And then you introduce the social grading system. Like I said, hey, have you worn your mask eight hours today because your phone can actually track you how many hours you work or whatever nonsense. So everyone has to truly rebel against the idea yeah. of digital um monetary system to and not just rebel but like actually start using these alternatives seek them out and implement them integrate them into your lives yes i don't disagree with that the problem is for people like me who mm -hmm. are cryptocurrency dummies um <laughs> we need like you know that cryptocurrency dummy book whatever mm -hmm. they call it uh, to really explain because it is not very easy to follow that whole thing. You know, I've tried looking at different coins and invested some and all that, but I think there needs to be a little bit more of education in that system and um, make it a little bit more user friendly yes. for people to understand. But the idea of decentralization is a key because uh, the reason we are in the mess we are because everyone is trying, you know, one world, one government. That's what they're trying to do with all of mm -hmm. these uh, Build Back Better initiative and uh, different things like that. Yeah. So I think cryptocurrency had a little bit of a challenge a week ago whenever the uh, coins were maybe under attack because they were failing. A lot of people probably lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, 
I'm all for it. I'm really all for anything that will work and make us more independent because that's what we need to do. We need to reclaim our lives in every way, health, yeah. finances, uh, socially, community. You kind of have to um, really reclaim your life and, and be in charge of your own um, destiny, really. And that's hard when the government keeps on pulling at you and saying, we need more of you. We need need to give us you know, your soul and your heart and your mind, and you need to really buy into this because if you don't, you know, there are going to be consequences. We'll unplug you from society. That's that's where they want to be able to take it. Absolutely. Okay, I know it's late there. Um, you're down with Dr. Cole and a whole bunch of others meeting with some doctors in Brazil. Uh, what, what are you guys doing? What kind of things have come out of there? What's happening what are the Brazilian doctors telling you that, that you'd like to share with us? Anything? So the conference actually starts tomorrow. So I okay. can't tell exactly what we're going to be talking <laughs> about. But the interesting thing is Brazil had a couple of our friends, uh, uh, Dr. Flavio Cardigiani and Dr. Lucy Kerr and others. They did this huge study in one area of Brazil where they truly showed that the medication that will not be named, that starts with I, and I always say it's... Uh, you know, the hashtag is, um, oh man, I'm too tired to think about it. <laughs> but the, the, the bad guy from uh, uh, Harry Potter. Oh. Uh, Voldemort. That's, the, yep. that's my hashtag for the medication that cannot be named. Okay. So Voldemort medication actually does work. Yeah. And has helped people. So they did this awesome study with a huge number of people. They showed that it made a difference in people's lives. And I think that's this the hardest thing uh for some of us, uh, when we were told to stand back and not do anything, some of us decided that that's not what we should be doing. And mm-hmm. we did what uh, doctors should do, and, and that's to figure out the puzzle and come up with an answer. And there are a lot of medications that you can use to combat the illness. It's not only Voldemort and the other one that starts with H. Uh, we could say them here. I don't censor, yeah, self-censor at all. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, I just kind of like to make people smile. But, you know, it's not about one medicine. There's tons of medicine right. we can use to help people. And um, ultimately, that's what we keep, have to keep on doing, figuring out ways to help people, to help them step out of the fear, mm-hmm. to help them realize that if you get COVID or something else, it's not the end of the world. There are ways that we can help. There are ways you can do things at home that can help you. So this conference is going to kind of be, you know, learning from each other, discussing these things that other doctors might be a little bit more afraid to talk about, try to figure out solutions going forward, Mm -hmm. um, talk about uh, monkeypox and different uh, challenges heading our way. How do we deal with it? Um, The the hardest thing have been, you know, we lost a lot of people to this uh, pandemic, to this thing. But if they let us do what we were supposed to do, they wouldn't have the EUA. That's why they had to fight the treatment that yes. people fought. The good thing that happened in this last two years, it brought a lot of us together. And the um, reason we traveled to Brazil, yes, it's awesome to actually be in Brazil. And I was at Falls today, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's actually to 
again, talk face to face, you know, touch each other, hug each other and say, we're all in this together and we're going to figure out the way to go forward, not let this defeat us because, um, I'm a firm believer that no matter how much they beat us down, the human spirit, the human soul always fights back. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look in the history, you might live as a slave or, um, you know, uh, under tyranny for years and years, sometimes decades. But at the end of the day, the good wins. It defeats the evil. Yeah. My favorite quote is the one that uh, Robert Malone always says, truth is like a lion, let it loose. You don't have to defend it, it will defend itself. Yeah. And it's true. It is. Yeah, I was very moved by uh, Frederick, Doc, uh, Frederick Douglass, who was, he wrote his own autobiography, The Story of an American Slave. And like, he starts reading the Declaration of Independence and understands freedom and liberty and hey this applies to me and so forth and he ran away he was recaptured uh put under this brutal taskmaster who just beat him into submission and he ended up going back to being a slave for a number of years i think it was but it was always he knew he was right even though he was under such egregious uh, conditions or in that environment that he couldn't do anything about it. But eventually, you know, he just kept uh, persevering and eventually he won his freedom. So it's not easy to do this stuff. It's definitely a struggle, stressful at times. I know I've experienced that just doing my little YouTube channel and, and trying to do my little podcast here. Uh, you guys have your careers on the line and are all you know, there's been a fresh round of attacks against all the doctors that are speaking out against this stuff. Um, I, I think what you guys are doing is courageous, and uh, I hope that you guys keep it up and um, people eventually come around. I, I don't see how they can't with the vaccine injuries and the people dropping dead and so forth. As that continues to ramp up, it's going to eventually impact everybody. I was talking with Brooks Jackson, and she's like, are you know, she's doing a bunch of these lawsuits and so forth. And she's like, is this going to make a difference? And I said, eventually, Brooke, we're going to run into somebody who lost their mom or their dad or their brother or sister or something. And they're just, they've had enough and they're not willing, going to be willing to toe the line anymore. And uh, I think we're getting closer to that breaking point. At least I hope that we are. So. I think we are. And I think, you know, um, for me, is if I can even help just one life, I made a difference. So I think um, it's really important to look deep. And I, and I really urge people to, especially the ones who are in limelight athletes, you know, yes. musicians, artists, actors, they have a bigger platform, they have a voice. I really use it. urge yeah. them to use it. Um, mm. Because um, I get so many sad stories all the time, and, and um, they take a piece of my soul away. But there's so many out there, and uh, we really need to kind of come together and um, and realize that 
the path we're on is not the good one. We really need to um, question certain things that they're asking us to do. We need to um, create relationships. We need to kind of push back and, and make sure that we take care of our kids, our families, our community. And uh, human people are supposed to um, interact, to, you know, to really uh, enjoy life. You know, find time to laugh, find time to um, really take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, we can't let them win, you know. We, we can't let them make us into machines, into robots. Um, we're not me- meant to live that way. Right. And it's not easy, you know, the things we're doing. It's exhausting. Um, it's 11.30 right now. I have to wake up early. So, you know, it's very tiring. But... Um, you know, it, it's the right thing to do, and uh, I, it feels good to be able to spend time with some friends who feel the same way. And there's a lot more of us out there than we think. We're not alone. No one is alone. Um, anyone is welcome to email me. I'll, I'll email them back, and I talk to people all the time. And, and, and most of us are that way. You can reach us anytime, and we'll try to help. And... Um, like I said, at the end of the day, they can beat us down as much as they want. And sure, our next few years might take a lot of uh, a lot out of us. But at the end, I don't think that they they will beat the human spirit. Human spirit always survives. It always rises up from the ashes, and we find a way to live our lives. So we'll we'll get there. I agree. Okay, let's wrap it up there. I'll let you get to bed. I appreciate you taking the time out Sounds with us good. tonight and have a, a great conference down there in Brazil. And uh, I guess hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you very much, Dr. Kat Lindley. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>